Well, good morning. I was going to say this beautiful morning. Actually, it is beautiful because we need the rain, and uh, it just doesn't feel quite as beautiful as, say, last Sunday did. But uh, good to have you here. We're back uh, after Easter now, continuing our reflections on transformation and learning to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, studying together in the school of the Messiah. A couple of weeks ago, we began to look at uh, this wisdom pyramid uh, out of uh, Brett uh, McCracken's book on wisdom. And uh, we looked at that first base level of the pyramid that, that everything else is built on which is uh, Scripture, the Bible, and talked a little bit about its importance in our lives. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the second level, uh, the church. And uh, thinking about the church led us to Thesis 10 in our studies here, that transformation is a communal process that takes place in the family of God, which is the church. And so, that, that's, we talked about a lot of things there, but that's pretty critical in my mind. Some of you are doing uh, Dick's uh, study in Philippians, and you've been working through that. And I think there's a good illustration there of what we're trying to talk about with this communal idea. Philippians has a lot to say about uh, how we relate to each other, you know, enjoining humility and, uh, and tenderness and all that. And you say, well, why is he talking so much about that? Until you get to chapter 4, and Paul says, uh, well, now, true yoke fellow, we're not sure just who that is, but somebody who's close to Paul, he said, I want you to help these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who are having, uh, apparently having troubles getting along. So think about that in relationship to Thesis 10 here, see? Transformation is a communal process that takes place in the family of God. Euodia and Syntyche both need Transformation. Probably if we talked to them, they would say, Euodia would say, Syntyche needs transformation. And then if we talked to Syntyche, she would say, Euodia needs transformation. The reality is that both of them need it. And it's not enough for them to, you know, sit in their private study and read what Scripture says about graciousness and humility and compassion, all the rest. That's not enough. What they need to do is come together in the family of God, in the church, and bump into each other. And then they need the help of other believers to say, okay, folks, here's, here's what's happening. And both of them together need transformation in their relationships. That's, that's the importance of the church. 
friends. Uh, much of the transformation that you need in your life has to take place in your interaction with others. Okay, so that's what we've looked at so far. Today I want to move up to that third level and talk ab about nature. Uh, specifically, I want to think about the truth of creation and how we need that. So two classic uh, texts that we can reflect on this morning. The first in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And then Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." So this brings us, as we think about God's Word, His revelation, which is preeminently in Jesus. We've talked about that. He is the Word made flesh. And then in Scripture, which is the Word about the Word, that teaches us about Him and is our, at this point, virtually our only access to Him. Now we, uh, we move on to the wordless word. Scripture tells us that the visible universe speaks about God and it speaks from God. The universe is another form of God's word, his speaking to us. And Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare God's glory. And this word, though it's not in human language, nonetheless goes out, we're told, into all the world. There's no place, there's no human being who is not reached and touched by this wordless word. The extraordinary revelation of God in what he has made. And, of course, there's the universe outside of us that gets more mysterious the more our telescopes can reveal to us. But it was, it was mysterious to the ancient world. It's still mysterious today. And then there's the, the micro-universe as we probe deeper and deeper 
into atomic and subatomic realities. There, there is there's a world there that is, is as big and mysterious as the world outside of us. And this visible universe speaks. Now, it's speaking, Paul says, can be, and in fact often is, suppressed. This, this revelation from God, this word that pours out 24 hours a day upon our world, upon all human beings, can be suppressed. Here's a guy who uh, wants to think that his gas tank is always full. He is uh, he's suppressing the truth, right? And the likelihood is that the truth is going to catch up with him at some point, even though he suppresses it. He may feel good in thinking that he's got a full tank, but the reality is going to be otherwise. At some point, he's going to be sitting beside the road waiting for AAA to bring him some fuel for his tank. Well, the the world is like that. Human beings are like that. Paul says the universe speaks to them. But the problem is that the truth can be and is suppressed. He talks about people who suppress the truth in their their unrighteousness. They hold it down so that the message doesn't get through. It's, It's like pounding on them, banging on the door of their mind and their hearts, but many of them neglect it. I was uh, reading something just this morning, an article about uh, how the universe is put together. String theory, it's called, which I don't understand, I don't get, but, but that's what the physicists talk about. And... Uh, and in, in commenting on this, the author uh, had chosen an interesting title that, that referred to God and, and then in explaining said this is actually kind of a strange title for an article like this because the majority of physicists are either agnostics or atheists. That is to say, people who devote their life to looking and thinking about and trying to understand the universe, which is God's wordless word to the human race, the very people who focus their attention on that are people who are very likely to suppress the truth that they're looking at. But Paul says, even though the truth can be and often is suppressed, that It allows for no excuses. And I'm not not sure that I figured out Romans 1 on this, if you read it through. Uh, Paul seems to go back and forth on this idea that all human beings, somewhere at bottom, know that God exists and they know something about his character, 
but at the same time they suppress it. So the question that I always wrestle with is, is this, question, is this situation one in which if you reject and suppress the truth long enough, you come to a place where you really don't know anymore? I mean, that, that may be the case. But Paul's very clear in saying it allows no excuses because in some way, at bottom, everybody really does know that there is a God who has created and they know something about him. Paul says they know his eternal power and his divine nature. And we'll try to think a little bit about that in the next few minutes. All right, so this wordless word, what shall we say about it? Well, I think the first thing I want to say is that this is truth for the senses. Uh, now, I know to some extent, even the truth of Scripture is we get it through our senses. We, we read it or we hear it. But, but the truth of the world, this wordless word, is is truth for the senses is in a deeper way. Dallas Willard at one point says, defines beauty as truth revealed to the senses. And of course, a large part of, of creation is beauty. And it's truth revealed to the senses, not just to the mind. So think, think about the beauty of music. Even the, the singing that we did this morning, right? That wasn't just a mental thing. That, that was something that we perceived and we felt. I mean, beautiful music does that. You, you feel it in your body. You don't just hear it, but you can, you can feel the rhythm, right? And there's something that happens in you to your to your spirit at the deepest level when you encounter the beauty of music. And, and Dallas Wilder would say what you're encountering there is truth revealed in a special way. Or take, take the graphic arts. Uh, a week ago, uh, uh, David Allen invited me to go to the art museum in Philadelphia with him. Never been there before. It was, uh, it was on my bucket list, so after we were done, I told him I could now die in peace. Could I take it one more thing off my, my bucket list? Uh, and, and David has a particular appreciation for the truth revealed through graphic arts. Uh, my favorite part was the armory. Uh, what can I say? That, that, was, that was a lot of beauty in that as well. But uh, truth revealed for the sentence, senses. So what truth is it that God is pouring out day after day upon the world, upon all human beings? So I'm going to pick up a few things. I don't think this list is exhaustive. I don't mean it to be that. But just to get you thinking about some of these aspects. The first one is what Psalm 19 talks about. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare that, but not just the heavens, all creation declares the glory of God. The micro-universe declares the glory of God. The world around us declares God's 
glory. Glory is uh, what? It's majesty. It's splendor. And, and the greater the glory of something, the more we can feel it. Huh? It's not just a mental thing in which you say, well, that, that's really neat or that's pretty impressive. In fact, sometimes glory can be so overwhelming that it silences speech. So, what about these mountains? I mean, the, the picture is beautiful, but, it, but it's nothing like being there, right? The, the impression that it would leave on you that might silence you that might lead you to say uh, there's no words to describe this kind of grandeur. And what Psalm 19 is saying is that the creation that God has made is filled with such splendor. And it's filled with splendor because it is declaring the very character of God himself. God is glorious, splendid, magnificent, awesome. And in his presence, if you could be and I could be transported into his presence right now in any kind of close to a full expression of his glory, we would be silenced. Glory has the idea of weight. We would, we would feel the weight of his presence. And we get the hints of that in the beauty of the creation he has made. Maybe it's in the mountains. Maybe it's in the forest. Maybe it's by the ocean. But we're surrounded by this. Day after day, hour after hour, the reminder that God is glorious. The heavens declare it. And then, of course, God is powerful. That's got to be part of what comes to us. Remember when Israel came out of Egypt and journeyed to Mount Sinai and God appeared there to give the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Moses went up into the mountain and, and the mountain is surrounded by clouds, right? And there's thunder from the mountain because God is there and Israel, Israel is terrified because of the expression of God's power. Now, the once again, the idea of awe can carry this notion of fear, can it? But, what, but at the same time, it can also carry this sense of wonder. And when we know God through Jesus, then that revelation of God's power becomes also a revelation of encouragement. As we trust in the one who cares for us and we understand the extraordinary power that is his to accomplish 
and fulfill everything he promises. So the word of creation, friends, among other things, is this. God is powerful. And he's on your side. That's that's the, the good news, right? I've talked to you before about my friend Trevor Hudson. Uh, Trevor is, uh, to me, just very insightful about the spiritual life. And he tells a story about uh, when he was a a young pastor. Uh, Trevor's personality is one, I think, that gives itself to a lot of anxiety, a lot of worrying. Some of you can understand that. Uh, And he, he tells about how he went to a conference of people in his denomination. He's Methodist, and so the bishop was there, and uh, in one of the break times, the, uh, the bishop said, uh, Trevor, uh, come with me. Come outside for a moment. And as they stepped outside... The bishop put his arm around Trevor and said, uh, Trevor, uh, you know what? While you were sleeping last night, God took care of the sun. Get the the point? Uh, We can be filled with such anxiety about so many things So many things that we really can't change. We want to control them. We're not able to. But we are called to know the God who has all power, who is on our side, who loves us, and we're called to trust him. And and this revelation of who he is isn't just something we read about in the Bible. This is something that surrounds us in the world if we are able to open our eyes and perceive who God is and what he's doing because he's speaking to us in this wordless word. God is powerful. God is artistic. I mean, this brings up the the beauty question again, right? Beauty is truth revealed to the senses. God is artistic. Well, we all love sunsets, don't we? Imagine this. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the sun is setting somewhere in our world. And and this diversity of colors and landscapes is is showing millions of examples of variety every single day, hour by hour, moment by moment. I read the other day that, uh, well, I I love hummingbirds. We, We have a a hummingbird, I'm not sure it's the same one, but we just we see basically one almost every evening in the summer, 
he comes just outside of our porch, and if you sit on our closed-in porch, he's only four or five feet away. Ruby-throated hummingbird, just extraordinary little creatures, so beautiful. The other day, I read somewhere that there are over 300 species of hummingbirds. What do you think about that? Well, part of what we need to think about is that the world is filled with such an extraordinary profusion of beauty. Whether it's sunsets or mountains or hummingbirds, beauty, beauty everywhere. If I were the creator, I think I'd stop with one hummingbird. And it it probably wouldn't be able to fly. But that would be about my limit. But it's not God's limit, right? Such a profusion of beauty. And this is truth revealed to the senses, revealed to you so you can see it, you can feel it, or you can hear it, or you can touch it. God is the master artist. Now, I don't, you know, I don't think we, we need to, it doesn't hurt, I guess, but we don't need to think about Every mountain, God's sitting somewhere thinking, well, okay, what's the right proportion on this mountain? All right, the, Bi- the Bible doesn't talk much about secondary causes, but we recognize that God uses secondary causes. So we probably need to think about God as the one who creates the potential for beauty within the natural processes so we can... We don't have to deny the, what we've learned geologically about tectonic plates shifting in the earth and bumping up against one another and the upthrusting of the stone and forming the mountain. We don't have to deny that that happens, but what we do is we worship a God who puts a universe into play that has all that potential built into it. And he's the master artist. God is artistic. And of course, to do all that, God is wise. Psalm 104 reflects on this. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, in wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. From the microscopic shrimp and the plankton all the way up to the multi-ton whales that course through the sea. The psalmist says, God, you're so wise. And see, in our day, we don't, there's this, 
there's this idea a lot of people have who live in a secular world. The assumption is the more we know about scientific realities and the more we understand of natural processes, the more demystified the world becomes. So these ancient peoples, they looked at things and they were totally buffaloed as to how that happened, and so they ascribed this to God. But in the modern world, we understand these are just natural processes, and, and the world is not as mysterious to us. The fact is, people who talk that way don't really understand. They don't understand that the more we come to know through our scientific inquiry, the more we realize that we have just touched the edge or the tip of the iceberg, that there's so much more that opens up that we do not know. So mystery doesn't grow less as we know more. Mystery increases. And so the wisdom of the sea is the wisdom of these intricate ecologies where you touch one part of the system and it's got a ripple effect that you, and you say, who knew? Well, God knew, right? That's what the psalmist is saying. God is wise. By the way, what does that mean for you and me? See, we're, we're asking, how do we benefit from this revelation that comes to us? Well, think about this. You're out there trying to run your own life, to make your own decisions, and you wonder whether you can entrust yourself to God for his guidance and leaning. But the revelation that comes day after day to you through creation is to say, God is smarter than you are. Wisdom doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with me. Wisdom begins with God. And so I can entrust myself to a God who is uh, wise. Well, let's get one more here. Like I say, this, you, can, you can spin out a lot more stuff here that I think creation speaks to us. But here's another. God is faithful. Faithfulness is the idea of reliability. So if God makes promises... You can rely on him to keep his promise. That's, that's the idea of faithfulness. Psalm 89 says, The moon is established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. A faithful witness. What is that saying? <clears throat> well, it's saying that the moon is regular. It's predictable. So much so that all of the ancient calendars were based on lunar months. That's... That was their timekeeper. New moon waxes to full moon, wanes again to new moon on a monthly cycle. Now, why does Psalm 89 mention that? Well, Psalm 89 is not first and foremost about the moon. It's not even about nature. Psalm 89 is about God's promise that he made to David that David would have heirs, that the covenant would continue. And the moon is referenced as a witness to the faithfulness of God. The God who keeps the moon regular, century after century. 
That same God is the God who has made a promise to David and he will keep his word. That's how it works, right? But the psalmist is saying, you know, look, look at creation. What is it telling us about God's character? God's character is faithful and reliable and so we are people who, if we understand that, if we hear the message and take it in, we're then people who trust in God because we know that his word is certain and secure. All right. Well, let's talk for a few minutes about one more thing then, and that is experiencing creation truth. Because uh, it's meant to be experienced. Right? It's, not, it's, just, it's not just meant so that we can have a sermon sitting inside. By the way, the sun is out. <clears throat> That's part of God's good revelation. Right? So we need to go out and soak up some of the word of God outside. We need to experience creation truth. Numerous benefits to this. Think about this. Refreshment for the body. It's good for you. I mean, you've experienced this, haven't you? Just to get out and feel the breeze and sense the sun. It invigorates the body. And part of what's going on, as I understand it, is that we are soaking up God's Word that's all around us, speaking to us about who He is, and that brings refreshment even to our bodies. Running's good, but my knees won't let me run anymore. But uh, I can walk, but to get outside and to experience creation truth, refreshing the body, clearing the mind. Whew. More needed today, I think, than ever in the history of the world. Because we, we live with a glut of information. I didn't say truth. I said information. Not necessarily the same. But a glut of information. All packaged, most of it packaged in 30-second sound bites. And we live at this frenetic pace, and the result is what I call spaghetti brain. And, uh, I mean, do you have this experience? I've, I have sometimes when I, when I go to bed and I can't fall asleep and it's not, that I'm, it's not that I'm thinking about something, that can keep me awake, but the bigger problem is when I'm not thinking but my mind is being bombarded from 20 different things and my mind is just jumping from one to the next. That's spaghetti brain for me. I sometimes describe it to myself as saying, my brain is on fire. I can't slow it down, and I can't, I can't go to sleep. I can be exhausted, and I'm just wide awake. But creation and the experience of creation truth 
helps to clear the mind. Part of it is because you can get, get out. Now, if you take your cell phone and you're walking along with your cell phone out, I've seen people do this, uh, forget it. It's, it's not much point. But if you can turn off the phone, don't take it with you, even better way, and get out and experience nature, it will refresh the body and it will help to clear the mind and then it will restore your soul. And remember, soul and heart in the Bible are, are largely the same thing, I believe. The heart and the, or the soul is the deepest part of you. Beyond even just the mind. It's the deepest part. <clears throat> and so Proverbs 4.23 we've mentioned before. Guard your hearts with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. Your life flows out of your heart. You need to care for your heart. <clears throat> you need to have your heart or your soul restored on a regular basis. How does that happen? Well, one of the ways is to experience creation truth, the wordless word. David's an example of this, you know. Psalm 23, probably the best known of all the Psalms. One of the best known passages of Scripture. So much help to so many people over the centuries. What does he say? He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Still waters. That whole psalm is a reflection on creation. David's uh, boyhood job, right? Tending the sheep. And that experience with the sheep outside, under the sun, watching the grass grow, watching the sheep wander. In all of that, he sees a revelation of who God is. And look how we're blessed through all these ages. Think what can happen to you if you put yourself in a place where you can slow down and meditate on the God who is speaking to you 24-7 through his creation. So what might you do? Well, uh, you might take a walk. Especially valuable if you can take a walk where there's not a lot of people and where there's a lot of natural revelation. Now, if, if you work in the city and you want to take a walk over lunchtime, that's not a bad idea probably, but if you're surrounded by concrete and high buildings, uh, it's going to limit your access to creation truth. Now, of course, if the sun's shining down on you, there's going to be, you know, there's something to be gained from that. But better, get out to a park. Better, a park that isn't real busy. And take a walk. And... And then as you walk, don't just walk, but observe. Observing is more than seeing, right? We, we all see, but we don't all observe. 
Observing is a, a slower process. The, uh, probably the best place that I've found to observe is uh, when I'm hunting. Not an advertisement for hunting, but that's one way that God has worked in my life. Uh, the hunting I do, you don't have to move around much. You just kind of sit and wait. And as you sit and wait, you look at the trees. You feel the breeze. You hear and see the squirrels burying their nuts. And they really don't remember where they bury them. Uh, don't kid yourself on that one. Uh, but that's part of God's design too because you have to plant new oak trees. And if they remembered where all this, the acorns were, well, it'd be a problem, wouldn't it? So you observe. You can go out in the park and sit on a bench and observe. Maybe observe a tree. I mean, I, I, I've just had a lot of personal blessing thinking about trees, what extraordinary things they are, that uh, they provide cover for animals, the leaves compost and renew the soil, they hold soil in place. They produce oxygen. They drop acorns that the deer love as well as the squirrels. And then imagine this. You can cut them down when they're mature. And you can build things out of them that will last more than the tree itself lasted. Isn't that remarkable? And then you can shape the wood, and you can finish it and find the most extraordinary patterns of beauty in the grain of the wood. God is remarkable in what he designs, but we have to slow down enough to observe what he's doing. And then to meditate on that. Meditate on a sunset. What does it tell you about God? Or do what Jesus said and meditate on the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See, Jesus meditates on God's wordless word, and he tells us to do the same thing. What do the birds tell us about ourselves and our relationship to God? This is the truth of creation, my friends. And so, our time is gone. I encourage you to uh, become an observer and a listener. And use that to engage your relationship with God and grow in your understanding of who He is. Truth revealed through the senses. Let's have our... Uh, Oh, I think, Jack, you're next. Is that the case? Or are we going to sing first? So, Jack, you'll be on next. I'm going to pray, and you can come up. Lead us in communion. Oh, were you surprised? Oh, Dwayne. Oh. Oh, there, there was a uh, <clears throat> little bit of a heart palpitation there, I take it.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your good gifts. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for your character, your glory displayed in all that you have made. This day, we invite you to make yourself known to us in fresh, wonderful ways. And as we share together in this time of communion, may that also speak deeply to us of your love and your grace poured out in the death of the Lord Jesus. We give you thanks in his name. Amen.